I want to carry on with what uh, we were doing yesterday with uh, Rav Hirsch's words about minorities, ma'atim. The fate of truth and right can never be hopeless, even if for a certain time their cause is supported only by a minority. The fact that the truth is upheld only by a minority is in itself no cause for despair. And least of all can any majority presume upon its numerical superiority to say to any minority with regard to any cause, you have no right, no justification to persist in your views and convictions. You are a minority and therefore must yield to the majority. All of Israel's history over more than three and one half millennia attests to the triumphant perseverance of a tiny, powerless minority against the immense predominance of a majority that numbers no less than all the rest of mankind. The very fact that the father of all mankind chose such a tiny minority as bearers of the treasure of truth, the Torah, that will redeem all mankind, justifies the following assumption. The fact that the cause of truth is borne by a minority does not in any manner threaten the survival and the ultimate triumph of that cause. In fact, only within minority will truth called upon to struggle and ultimately to win find the conditions for its cultivation and survival which it needs in the midst of so many conflicting elements. It will happen rarely that such a truth will prevail when it is upheld by a majority. In brief, we can determine the favourable conditions which precisely a minority would offer for the genuine cultivation of the truth. We may ourselves... We may ask ourselves, what advantages can the cause of truth expect from being upheld by a minority? That it's Am Yisrael, this minority, this Zera of Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov, that holds the truth despite the Hitnagdut of, of the whole world. We will note, says Rav Hirsch, that a truth upheld by a minority has many more loyal nurturers and champions than one born by a majority, but why? Because a victorious, a victorious majority will be the first to become unfaithful to its own cause. It has triumphed. It is, after all, the majority. Its cause is now safe and secure. Its struggle is a matter of the past and therefore can be ignored. Let minds and spirits now turn to new aspirations, new perceptions. They'll leave their ideology. The ancient truth for which that majority struggled so hard and whose victory had cost them so dearly now stands safe beneath the palladium of this very majority. <clears throat> no further gain can be expected from continuing the spiritual cultivation of that truth because it's now immune to all further challenge. They are the majority, after all. After all, the majority is its guarantor, but by so doing, that majority betrays its own cause. The majority forgets that it owes its triumph solely to its cause. So let us examine the position of the minority, says Rav Hirsch. Here the cause is everything, because it must be so. For if the minority no longer had its cause, what else would it have? Only the spiritual value of its cause can compensate a minority for what it lacks in numbers. Only as long as it remains vitally aware of its spiritual significance can the minority attain that self-confidence which it must have in order to survive. A little bit more. The survival of a minority therefore basically depends 
on its ability to keep awake. Listen to these words. Our survival of a minority depends on its ability to keep awake within all its parts the complete spiritual reserve of the cause it champions. Indeed, its very contrast with the majority impels the minority to immerse itself over and over again into the spiritual content of its cause. When you have the whole world screaming at you, shouting at you, pointing fingers and accusing you, you are forced to look inwards and to uh, immerse oneself again and again in the spiritual content of our cause, to study its contents again and again in all their aspects, to remain mindful of its every detail and its and in all its totality. It also has to find answers to the perennial question which of necessity has haunted it ever since it first emerged. The question I suppose that haunts many of our people, why not switch to the banner of the majority? Go over to where the numbers, power and material preponderance beckons. So minority, says Rav Hirsch, should never tolerate that its cause should become its reason d'etre, become the spiritual monopoly of only a few initiates. By doing so, it would endanger its very survival. Once it inhibits the spiritual flow of research and knowledge within its ranks, it allows its members to drift into the majority that is always ready to receive them. This is particularly apt for people in Chutzlaris who are under so much pressure from so many angles. Uh, and it's so much easier to side with the majority, as happened in the days of the Maccabim, where so many Jews just wanted to be Hellenists. They wanted to become like everyone else. It's so much easier to be like everyone else. We want to be accepted. The unique character of any minority position is reflected also in the historical phenomenon of the most ancient and stiff-necked minority of all, the history of the Jews. Until most recent times, we advisedly add the qualification, until most recent times. For while our past offers the most magnificent evidence for the preserving power of the spirit which a minority can keep awake in all of its parts by means of research and knowledge, the lethargy of our present offers just as striking evidence of the contrary. Our present shows how ineffective a minority can become if it imitates the majority by inscribing the name of its cause on its party banner, but withdraws its knowledge and spirit from its totality, turning over these values to a limited class of its members. I <clears throat> don't think I will read the rest of the essay to you. It's worth looking up. Rav Hirsch's collected writings is uh, volume two, Kislev, uh, essay number four. But it is very important for us as we approach Hanukkah and we think more and more about the reasons for Hanukkah and what Hanukkah represents. And in the context that we are in today, Rabim biyad ma'atim tmeim biyad tohorim, all three of those of those parallels point at a minority, point at us being a minority, and um, but also that, that element of Hanukkah, of the minority overcoming the majority, of the light, lighting up the darkness, living in the darkness as light. That is that famous Nativot Shalom that we've learned many, many times, right? That Hanukkah is in the darkest month of the year, shortest shortest days, Northern Hemisphere days. 
and it's the darkest time of the month at the end of Kislev as the as the moon starts to disappear, the beginning of Tibet, as it starts to reappear, it is to be lit, the Chanukiah, beneath Asarat Fachim, a place where, according to Chazal, there is no Shekhinah. Essentially, we light candles, we light our menorah, our Chanukiah, in the darkest place on earth, at the darkest time in the month, at the darkest time of the year. To say what? To say that despite everyone around us being dark, we can live in that darkness with our light. Uh, we are ma'atim biyad rabim. Because we're ma'atim, it doesn't mean that what we believe in isn't true. It doesn't mean that at all. And on the contrary, because we are ma'atim, as Rab Hirsch says, we are forced to look inwards and ascertain and reassert and confirm our belief on a daily basis. If you live in the majority, you're not challenged. Uh, you don't have to think about what you do, about what you believe. You're just not challenged. You just do it. Uh, so there is a bracha in being a minority and remembering that Hakadosh Baruch Hu chose us ki atem hamaat mikol amim because you are the minority amongst all nations. Besorot tovot. Have a good day.